And we're very hopeful carrying this message. It's like, if, if I understand Second Chronicles right, it isn't up to me to stop molestation, abortion, you know, same-sex, uh, you know, abortion, uh, sexual immorality, and bring reformation by my uh, action. You know, my, my, the Lord says very clearly in Second Chronicles, you know, if we'll do what we can do, he'll do what we can't do. And so I, I, I think every leader should, should look at the first part of that. What does it mean to humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from our wicked ways? And if every leadership team at every church would just, and as pastors together would say, what, what? so interesting that, that that commentary is to people who were already awakened by judgment and already walk, you know, humbling themselves and praying. And we always think, you know, that that, that verse is for the guy down the street, but they don't even, they don't even have a prayer meeting down the street. It was talking to the people who would say, by their own definition, we're the, we're the now happening people. We're the ones that are rocking and rocking it right now. And the Lord implies that even that group has some things they need to change and turn from. And so that's, we can, we can hardly conceive of that because we always think, well, that's for the guys down the street, you know. It's not us because we're, We've got the new, we've got the coffee and the greeting and the, we got the parking lot greeting team. We're rocking it. We got all the new stuff. We, we're, we're, you know, and we, we support the Cyrus Center. You know, I mean, I think, okay, Lord, there's something in us still that we can, and then that's the heart of God. And, and we are, I'm very excited because it puts it on the Lord and our, my job is to look at my own life and look at his beloved bride and, and and invite them into a place of turning from our wicked way. And I think breaking the silence around sexuality and all the related things. I started my ministry dealing with just the pro-life issue and asking pastors to take the next step regarding the unborn. But then the Lord called me and, and put, he's, he began to challenge me to put the, the abortion issue and the pro-life issue in the context to pro properly contextualize it in the culture. And he, he began to say stuff like abortion is, is the end of the conveyor belt in a culture that worships sex. And you can't talk about abortion unless you talk about the heart of a woman, and you can't talk about the heart of a woman unless you talk about the power of a father in her life. And you say, these kind of weird sayings started floating through my spirit, and I thought I started connecting these dots and thinking, Lord, this is, you want, you want to keep this contextualized. You know, one of my favorite things to say, too, is I, kn I know where sex trafficking starts. It doesn't start in Thailand. It doesn't start in Eastern Europe where they are trafficking the women from Eastern Europe to Western Europe. And it doesn't start at the bus station in Vancouver where the, where the foster daughter is getting pimped out at the Vancouver bus station. But sex trafficking starts in the junior high hallway right down the street where every day of her life, the little 12 or 13-year-old girl, all she hears is the most important part of who you are is your sexuality. That's where it starts. That creates the pornographic atmosphere. That creates the identity assault against her where she eventually feels so much pressure she takes a picture of herself on her camera and sends it to her boyfriend. This is where it starts. And I believe um, that God's called the church, the glorious church, to create a rebuttal and a refutation to that lie that's being loosed against a generation. I mean, I... I and I, 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 I am jealous for the church to be that. So we're having fun. We're excited. Um, 
I want to talk about men and women. Let me just mention the table. I mean, the book is fun. It's just fun for me. Let me just celebrate with you. We can invite you to celebrate with us. Um, the book's in Spanish. It's in Russian. It's in English. It's uh, being worked on for in Portuguese for Brazil. And right now, as I'm speaking, it's being translated into Thai for a full Thai version for Thailand and a and in Mandarin for Taiwan and mainland China. And we'll launch, we'll launch both the Thai and the Mandarin book this summer in a month when we go to two conferences, uh, one in Thailand and one in uh, Taiwan, just to see that release. And I'm, I'm kind of on tiptoe saying, okay, Lord, just let it, you know, you do what you do best, but let it be, uh, let it be that, that weapon against darkness. And... Uh, so we're excited, so I just wanted to encourage. I'm encouraged. I mean, there's days that are really hard, and uh, there's days you think you know, the enemy is saying you're crazy and no one wants to hear this, and, and you, just, you, know, you just stay in your cave and keep sharpening your sword and wait for the Lord to say, come on out and go here. And that's, that's what we've been doing, and we're really privileged to be able to do that. So... Um, the heart, the identity of men and women is certainly under assault, isn't it? And uh, I don't know if you're thinking I'm going to focus on identity. I just, just thinking about men and women and their differences and kind of our culture. And I'm just going to think out loud with you. I'm, I'm not a, a Bonnie with five points, you know. I'm, I'm kind of a shotgun person. And uh, if you get inspired, write that nugget down. But you may not get another nugget that fits next to it, you know. Um, <laughs> But it, that's how the Lord's used me, and I, I'm, I occasionally can get a few points. I've got a few points for you here. But uh, just thinking about the, the, this, this Genesis 1.26, he made them male and female. You know, he created them male and female, and we know that to be a reflection of the Godhead, that there's, there's a, a part of God that's female and part of God that's male. I mean, it, this the, kind of that, or the dad-mom, the kind of that dad-mom thing. And um, you see that, and... Uh, I heard somebody talk the other day saying that it refers to mankind as, you know, mankind. And you think, well, that's such an offense to women. You know, it's just, well, the men have to go through it because they're the bride. I mean, in their part of the Bible, it says you're part of the bride. So it's kind of equal time. I, it's, it's not like we're, we're not saying the bride's not the bride. I mean, what, we're going to start undoing the bride, bridal paradigm. I mean, so we say mankind. We're referring to men and women, but mankind. It's not assault against women, but... So you've got that, and you've got the bride. But I, I was thinking of that, uh, God's created of male and female, and uh, just the, uh, the uniqueness of that and how much assault has been going on. They, they talked about the image of God today. And, uh, but one of the things we've been saying, and just, these are just, when I think about men and women, a lot of people, do we have that picture of the, of the, of the uh, unmasked book? We, was that on the list? It wasn't? Oh, okay. Um, sometimes they, they say, well, you're, you're kind of primarily a women's ministry, and I think, well, we're really not, but we're, we're seeking a pathway into the heart of men by talking about the heart of a woman because we think there's a connection there. And, and it, uh, I've said this over and over, that the, 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 the pathway to authentic manhood is a revelation of a daughter's heart, number one. 
And number two, a revelation of the war from hell against what's in a daughter's heart. And if we could just even begin to meditate on that and cons consider the connections there. Um, you know, and you'll see, I'm going to kind of stay on that in this talk. And you'll kind of see, I want to expand uh, this. this. And, and you see, you see Jesus um, responding to the, you know, say the woman caught in adultery. And I always say Jesus' agape love was so profound because he, he was caught in a situation that was completely a no-win situation. He was, it's a, it reminds me a little bit of today in the church. We're in a no-win situation, but Jesus was in a no-win situation where if he, if he upheld the law, he was not this loving reflection of God. He, that he, he, was, he, was this, he would be this unmerciful. But then if he showed mercy, he was violating the law. So it was a no-win. I mean, they had him. They had him cold and uh i love that 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 the lord has a way of creating what i call a third way out of two things that are seemingly impossible and we've got people in all sorts of situations in sexual situations where god always has a third way for them through repentance and, and restoration and but we've got uh this third way that god wants to bring bring people he wants to bring people into a third way by a spirit of revelation and uh, restoration in their lives. So I, I believe that. I, I believe that. I believe Jesus, his agape love never, he, see, it's so interesting. He never lowered, he didn't say, girl, you got to get your love somehow. You know, you're, I mean, kind of winked at her. I understand, you know, you just need to get your love somehow. He never lowered the standard. His agape love never lowered the standard, but, but, but agape love always said to that person, who you are is so important to me and my father. And it, it, it simultaneously. It's like the spirit of revival comes. You're supremely aware of your own unworthiness, but in spite of that unworthiness, you're supremely aware how much you're cared for. And it's simultaneous. Like it, it's at the same moment. And, it's, and I think we're afraid if, uh, we're afraid by interacting with someone and loving people in the midst of their sin that we're 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 at, we're uh, um, approving of their how they're living, and we just we just need a revelation, especially in the area of sexuality, to take it the next step higher. And I'm personally, let me just share personally. I'm really asking God. I react when I see lesbians. I, I react when I see the the butch women who are really you know like they want to punch your lights out. You know I. And I, I, I'm just rehearsing. She, I, ninety, ninety percent of those ladies were molested when they were little girls. This is why. This is their answer. This is their protection. You get a daughter who was the first experience was that kind of experience. She doesn't even want to be a woman. That's her answer. That's her. That's her. This is the birthplace of the trans movement and the a lesbian movement. Uh, the gay movement is the violation of children. Uh, pre-memory, pre-memory, I was always, I've always felt this way. I was born, that, therefore I was born this way. Well, you find me some pre-memory five-year-olds that had sexual experiences. They don't remember. They just remember they always have felt this way. I think this is where all this is being generated from. And I think they haven't done the studies on that. Um, they, if they did, they, they don't want to do the studies on it because it's going to, they want the birthplace of the movement to be so positive rather than born out of violation and violence against children. And this is, if we connect that, and if the birthplace of the whole movement 
instead of being I was born that way, if it is based on violence and the historical reality of their testimony, then we're, it's, it, it begins to, to, to uh, cause the house of cards to take a tumble. So I believe that's uh, really what the Lord's doing. Let me, uh, talking about men and women, um, kind of identity, I, I wanted to just take a, make a few comments about the Me Too movement. You know, I'm, I'm always reading and thinking about stuff like this, but I want to read a, uh, before that, I want to read this little, uh, I don't know if I've read it here or not. Maybe I have. I can't remember what I've, but I read this in a, in a magazine, and it just sort of introduces the topic of male and female and uh, kind of describes a scenario that, to me, is really encouraging. Um, this lady was jogging. She says, I was on my usual running path. I don't know if you guys heard this one. If I use it here, though? Okay, yeah, I, I don't know if I've shared it at church. I'm going to maybe share it tomorrow. I was on my usual running path when I heard an older man yelling loudly enough for me to hear through my headphones, sexy lady, sexy lady, hey, 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 sexy lady. He kept screaming it, and I decided just to ignore him and keep on running. This ignoring him seemed to make him more angry, and he lashed out at me and said, F you, dumb B-I-T-C-H. Now, let's keep in mind he was well-dressed and appeared to be on a lunch break from his office job. It's going to be downtown Vancouver or anywhere, you know. That was my trigger point, the B word. I ripped off my headphones, prepared to stand up for myself when this little boy who was walking alongside his mother and little sister in a stroller looked at the guy and said, hey, that is not nice to say to her. And she didn't like you yelling at her. You shouldn't do that because she is a nice girl and I don't let anyone say mean things to people. She's a girl like my sister and I'll, I will protect her. The man was immediately embarrassed and started gathering his lunch to leave. I asked the mother if I could hug the little boy. His name was James. And I told him how grateful I was for him. He just shrugged his shoulders and said, well, I just wanted to make sure your heart was okay. According to his mother, this is a typical day in the life of James. Thank you so much to the mothers and fathers. And let me add, youth pastors, pastors, counselors, teachers, who are raising the next generation to be brave and courageous and to be little earth angels for us all. I am so touched. So kind of a funny article. I love it. I love what it says, but it, it raises kind of, it raises some what we call stereotypes in terms of protection. And some of you are aware that protection is, to the feminist movement, is kind of an anathema. Protection is, it, it runs cross-grain to a generation that says, I am capable, wise, intelligent, gifted. I can handle life on my own. I can navigate relationships. I can, I'm emancipated from my parents. You know, th this is kind of the image, the image of the successful. And, it, it, and we have to deal with it as a church. We have to deal with the issue of protection and masculinity, femininity, identity. And the other, con the other extreme is this, is, well, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm like really need protection because I'm a girl, you know, I really don't know how to do that many things that good, you know, so I just really, you know, I mean, the truth be known, I just need protection. 
So you've got either the sophisticated woman of the 21st century that needs no, none at all, or this image which is propagated, kind of this suggested image that this is who you are if you need protection. And I, I propose to you, we, we have a sweet spot in the middle. Again, we're always needing to find the sweet spot in the kingdom of God where God is doing something and he's establishing a biblical place. And I propose to help you see, uh, see that through some scriptures and some inferences. And there is not a protection chapter in the Bible. The Bible does not do chapters. The Bible doesn't do chapters. I mean, I've been in the pro-life movement for years. Where's the abortion chapter? Well, there's not one there. You know, you have to talk about the shedding of innocent blood and look at this and the, the cities of refuge. And, you know, you have to piece together revelation from God. If, 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 if there were chapters like that in the Bible, we would have beaten so many people up with so many of those chapters by now that no, the world wouldn't, you know, it comes through revelation. So these, these very strong, beautiful principles and truths of the kingdom of God come through all these different places and different authors into a solidified revelation that, that you can preach and teach, but you can't just grab the chapter unless you, you embody it first in your life, almost. Otherwise, we would use it. Hopeless, we would ho help, hopelessly beat people up with it because we want to fix things. We're a good Western... Northern American Christians, we want to fix it. We don't, we don't know how to be with people in their pain. We want to solve people's problems instead of get to know them. And I believe God wants us to do both. So, especially in this area of sexuality. So we have this story of protection. Let me make some comments on the Me Too movement. I was really excited about the Me Too movement. I thought the Me Too movement, man, this is so exciting. I grew up in the sexual realm. I grew up. I was 16 in 1968. I was, you know, the, at the end of the, you know, the kind of the Jesus movement, hate Ashbury, you know, peace, love, tie-dye, free sex, you know. It's like the sexual revolution started then. And with all the promises and all the, the no strings attached, and off we go. And I, I lived it as a teenager to some degree, you know. I, uh, and I... And so this, this, this Me Too movement now all of a sudden is saying something is out, out of nowhere and it's making a concession. The, the, the sexual revolution has not made a concession for 50 years. It, is, it has said things, it is, here's what it's given us. It says this, these are the, the uh, lies of the culture and the lies of the, sec, of the sexual revolution that women are the same as men sexually and emotionally. Women are not designed for commitment or permanence in relationships. Women can get in and out of relationships with no damage. Uh, women don't need uh, permanence, security, or safety. About men, it says true manhood is achieved through the pursuit and indulgence of sexual desires. True manhood is realized by being unattached, distant, and independent. And the elements of traditional manhood are uh, unhealthy. The true essence of uh, violence, aggression, risk-taking, and ambition are all negative. This is kind of, and that's a very recent, recent thing on toxic masculinity. But pretty much these are the, the tenets of the sexual revolution in our culture regarding men and women. I didn't, it's not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. But so we've got this Me Too movement and, the, and these, these lies of the culture. And then all of a sudden, 
because of the Me Too movement. I was so sad because I thought, Lord, the church has been called to be the herald of truth. And when, and when the Me Too movement came out, it wasn't the church that was the one that proclaimed that women are being hurt in relationships. It was like Hollywood was going to say this. And I go, Lord, why? I mean, the church is supposed to be the herald and, and, the, and, the, and the, the steward of truth and to lay its life down and serve the culture. And, and, the, and the Lord just said to me, the church is hardly even talking to its own young adults about sexuality. You, you think Hollywood's going to listen to the church? I said, yeah, they aren't. But Hollywood will listen to Hollywood, won't it, Jim? I go, yeah, Hollywood will listen to Hollywood. He goes, I'm going to do something. Just keep, keep praying, keep believing them. I'm going to let Hollywood confront Hollywood. Hollywood confront Hollywood, man. Hollywood's listening, man. It's like it's rocking, shaking, man. It's like the things are shaking. And I thought, and here's the concession. The, the, the culture has never made a concession about the morality of sexuality that is foisted on two, two generations from the 60s. And this is a concession, that women are hurt in sexual relationships without appropriate boundaries. That's pretty generic. Some of it needs to be described and kind of defined, but really it's opening the door to God's, God's preordained, declared sexual ethic. It is in black and white. It is, the very, it is the very statement that invites the church into the, quote, conversation, you know. Let's get involved in the conversation, you know. Social media, you know. Join the conversation. Church, join the conversation. We're talking about restoring our testimony. We're talking about speaking truth and love. We're, this paves the way. We can restore a generation's testimony. See, one of the things we've lost is we've lost our testimony because of shame. We've got people with X-rated testimonies in our churches. There are elders. There are leaders. There are young adults. They're the kids of the, of the pastors who are, have X-rated testimonies, and they're, they're being restored. But because of the residual shame still, we want, we want to change it to PG. I've got a PG testimony. What that does, is it, it imprisons people outside the church who are waiting for someone to come up and say, I know the way out of hell. Can I tell you about my life? No one's saying that. If you have an X-rated testimony and you're going PG, you don't come up with, I know the way out of hell. You kind of, you don't say anything about even your PG background because there's a residual shame in your life. And I believe God wants to restore the church to recover her testimony. If we will recover our testimony, and we do that by acknowledging the pain and what's happened. See, I think we have to change our thinking about how much time we take and how we do church. I've been meditating on um, Jesus doing healing on the Sabbath. And he got lots of pushback on it. I mean, he got tons of pushback. And it's like we have the, we do exactly the same thing with certain areas, sexuality. We don't really do that on Sunday morning. That's not a Sunday morning message. That's not a, we don't do, well, uh, uh, do we do healing on Sunday morning? We, it's kind of like God wants to reset our thinking, our Sabbath thinking to what we do uh, when we gather together and there's other avenues for that too I'm not saying that's the only place but by no means but we do have these kind of boundaries around Sunday morning because and I think that's going to be down the road as we get more comfortable but I believe God wants to restore something to us and it's so interesting that Jesus has so much dialogue about healing on the Sabbath and it's just the symbolism I can't miss it I just think I mean it would be the greatest thing in the world for the for the young man who has never done anything homosexual but all he's got is voices in his head saying, you're gay. 
because you're sort of effeminate, and he's accused of that all day. For him to bring that to the altar on Sunday morning and have that, have that broken by the power of the Lord, I mean, this is the kind of stuff we want to celebrate and see happening. I get excited about that kind of thing. So we get this Me, me Too movement. It, it did, and I, I believe restoring our testimonies is part of that, is, is male and female testimony. And we're not talking about flaunting inappropriate details. I'm talking about, again, we're back to the whiteboard. How many sexual things can you do? You know, we can write them on the board. It's not about the details. It's about what my behavior, my involvement in this kind of stuff, and I'll, I'll allude to it. I'll mention it. I live with a guy. I had sex with this many different men. I, you know, was involved in everything but sexuality. Okay, we've all got the picture. We can figure that out. It's not too rocket science. How many things can two people do? But it's what, what I felt when I did that. It's the, 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 the distance it put between me and God. It's, the, it's the, the voice saying, if any other human heard about that, they would think you're this kind of person. You know, it's, and, it's, and it's the disturbance of your own identity that's created, the horrible assault against your own understanding of who you are. Those three separations are what shame does. And so I think God wants us to restore ourselves. See, the, the door has been open for us to be part of the conversation. What are we going to take into that conversation? What We're going to take the power of the testimonies of restoration. We're going to affirm the fact that women are hurt in sexual relationships without appropriate boundaries. That's, that's what we're going to do. And I'm not saying just women. Now, I know, I mean, I, men are hurt too in relationships. Men are emotional. Men are, are, are broken. Guys are sensitive. But because the culture has targeted women, we're, I wanna, we have to understand there's something about the targeting of women. There's been the targeting of women. The, the, agent, the, 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 the enemy has targeted women, and through the agency of women, men are fall in this area. I mean, the, the enemy messes with women and their identity, and it's what happened in the garden. He messed with Eve and her thinking, her identity, the boundaries of God, her relationship with God. That got, that got molested. And as a result, the man fell through that sequence. So we see the same sequence of the garden today and the same uh, results. And I, I, mean, I think of this, this, uh, this Me Too moment, where, where it's left, you know, what it's, where, what it's done to women. It has not helped women. I mean, the, women are in, in worse shape. I mean, you think about it. And... And here's the other thing. The feminists in America, in North America, are completely dishonest because if you know your history, everywhere the gospel has gone through missions, the status of women in those cultures has been elevated immensely. I mean, every place, in every place, there, it has been, I mean, the Irish, you know, Amy Carmichael ending uh, the selling of little girls into the, the Hindu temples. And, you know, just, that's just one example where she decried that and exposed that, that really uh, trafficking of girls to the Hindu temples and how the British Empire overruled that, you know, why India was still part of the British Empire. And, I mean, we're seeing stuff like that. And so they, they've not, you know, feminism has not protected women. We've got uh, great damage, 10% of women on antidepressant medication. We have that cutting and burning with young women, a divorce rate, and a live-together situation that has left women uh, without commitment. Uh, we've got a hookup culture on the college campuses where women are having, you know, the message is give me, you know, give sex and maybe we'll work out a relationship later. Completely antithetical to how they're designed. 
completely with no other option. It's just like, this is how it is, girl. You, you have nobody or you do this. Take your pick. I mean, it is. And it's completely antithetical to how they're designed. And we've got the depersonalization, the sexualization, and the objectification of women, not to mention the uh, statistics about molestation and all the uh, sexual assault, molestation, and uh, abortion rates that go with it. And for me, I guess the final straw, I mean, I'm just reading about uh, rapid onset gender dysphoria where young people are confused, but rapid onset is not the traditional pathway where over a period of time you can see it. It's based on socialization. It's like a fad. It's like a lonely girl all of a sudden has a new group of friends that are going to celebrate who she is because she's saying, I'm trans. And she has a new group of friends and everything is cool. But, you know, as that thing, it takes a stranglehold and she visits those websites and has this new social group of friends, she wants to get her breasts cut off, 13 and 14 years old. And our culture is prepared to say, go ahead and get your breasts cut off, dear. Doctors willing to do it and prepared to do it and, and, and literally say she's mature enough and wise enough to make that kind of decision when no other psychological or psych psychiatric treatment ever suggests permanent measures so quickly. It is, it is a, I just finally said, this is, this is permanent. This is permanent cutting and burning to have that kind of alteration. And in, even in Canada, I think it was in Canada where the, where, the, where the dad, if he doesn't call his daughter who was a boy, a girl, they're going to they're gonna put him in jail. Was that Canada? Yeah. Leading the way. I mean, I'm thinking, come on, it's, it's time. It's time. And we've been invited into the conversation by this concession in the Me Too movement. And we don't, but the thing is, we don't want to get trapped by making men the enemy. Anybody with male genitalia is, is a, he's a sex addict. He's, he's horrible. No, we, we, we don't want to err that way. We want to strike the middle ground again. And so I want to talk a, a little bit about that. So this concession by the Me Too movement is, it is a gift from the Lord. I believe it's a, a fruit of prayer. I believe it's a, but we have to be willing to acknowledge the pain in women and men and bring healing to them so they can ad accurately and, and, and wisely begin to share their story. And we still, we still aren't, we're still forging that. We're still trying to forge wineskin in the church for the appropriate way to handle that. Let me just say this about protection. Again, my girls, I always talk about my girls, my kids, you know. I say, uh, maybe we can show, show the kids real quick just for fun. My girls are capable, wise, intelligent. These are my women. These are my six daughters and my wife. But, but my girls, they are, they, are, they are capable, wise, intelligent, and gifted. They have treasure in them to heal a broken world, and I protect them. It isn't an either-or. And I think, and, 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 and the other thing I'm saying is women need protection not because they are not capable, wise, intelligent, and gifted, and with treasure to contribute to the healing of a broken world. So this is not about ability, but there is, we have to understand the spirit, what's going on. Women, have, women need protection because they're, they have a peculiar vulnerability to the sexual spirit that has been loosed on the nations of the earth. This is not a women aren't capable message. This is a women have been targeted by darkness because they are women and they have a peculiar vulnerability based on their nature and their makeup 
This is what Eve, see, Eve came when, when God confronted her, and he said, what, 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 is, what is this that you have done? Like a dad saying, daughter, what happened to our intimate relationship? And she just said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. I believed a lie. There is some propensity for some reason for deception in a woman more than in a man. He asked the man the position question, like, where are you? He asked the woman, what is this that you have done? I mean, I, maybe I'm just straining and stretching it. But I feel like I asked the man the position question because he was supposed to be governmentally tending the garden. And he asked the woman the relationship question. What is this that you have done? What happened to our, the thing we had together? I, I, I'm, 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 you know, it's, that's, that's what I'm seeing. So we have to understand those unique uh, parts of how we are designed. And we're, we see this, this uh, demonic ass assault against women in every culture. You know, it's, we've got, we look at sexuality through the individual, personal, the first lens. The second lens is the uh, generational corporate. And the third lens is the cultural global. And the fourth lens is the biblical historical. And then that cultural global lens we look through, we, we see where it says if in Ephesians, it says, you know, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, principalities, powers, spiritual forces, world forces of this darkness. I believe that sexual spirit that has been loosed in the nations of the earth is a world force of this darkness. To me, one of the greatest scriptures a missionary can take into any nation is husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It sets sexuality in context. It sets it sets. It sets the, the man and the husband. It sets the cherishing of the woman. It cuts across that devaluation of women in so many cultures of the earth. To me, it's just a radical, radical scripture. I think we need to herald it. It'll break the tribalism in Africa. It'll break the, you know, the uh, 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 honor, honor stuff in the Islam world. I mean, this is radical. This scripture is so profoundly radical, and it's linked to the very essence of Christ laying his life down in the gospel message. Husbands are supposed to do this just like Christ did it for the church. I mean, if you can't cement two things together more profoundly, that's what you see. And to me, we're, we're, we're preaching the gospel and then never saying, husband, love your wife. We're never expanding that other half of, the, of that mandate. And it's two husbands. But man, it's the future husband. If it's the husband, I'm going to talk to my 13-year-old about, you're in husband training now, bro. You know, let's... Come along for the ride. All every single guy's on husband training. Let's 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 get it started. Let me read this. This is this is amazing. You're gonna love this. Talking about toxic masculinity, and I want to give credit to Prager University for this. But I read this. And I thought this is because we've got this with with it, with the Me Too movement. We, we we now we're talking about toxic masculinity. And even recently, the APA, the American Psychological Association, has listed now things to deal with with men, negative traits that are normally really part of what a man has been made to be. But aggression, violence, risk-taking, and ambition are on the list of negative things to be cured in a man, to be mitigated. Oh, yeah, it's on the list now. It's, it's so here's, here's, here's this statement. It says, culture's answer to the negative traits of manhood is make, man, make men less masculine. And the, the proposition is this is dangerous. Why? We will get more toxic masculinity from trying to make men more like women. Bad men don't start becoming good when they stop becoming, when they start becoming, 
let me say that again. Bad men don't start becoming good when they become less masculine. Bad men become good when they stop being bad. Now, this is not rocket science. This is, this is, I mean, think about it. Because we're talking about an innate design in men. I'll say that again. It's worth repeating. Bad men don't start becoming good when they become less masculine. Bad men become good when they stop being bad. Aggression, violence, ambition, risk-taking can only be harnessed. It's innate to men. When they are harnessed, they become tools for good. The same masculine traits that bring destruction also defeat tyrannies. Traits that foster greed build economies. Traits that lead men to take foolishness, foolish risks lead men to take heroic risks. The answer to toxic masculinity is not less masculinity, it's better masculinity. It looks like men opening doors for women when working long hours in, on the job and going to war to fight evil and men walking responsibility in their sexuality. When men embrace their masculinity in ways that are productive, they are warriors, leaders, and heroes. When denied their masculinity, they run away from their responsibilities. This is what's happening in our culture right now. Leaving destruction and despair the consequences of this father absence are everywhere in our society. This father absence is the basis for the most dangerous equation on the earth. An empty-hearted daughter, plus the power of her sexuality, plus a confused young man, equals all the heartache and brokenness that we see everywhere today. It's the sexual, the sexual consequences of that. So we're looking at toxic masculinity, and we're looking at God's creation of male and female, and we're looking at the innate traits in man and qualities in man. It made me think of other, I've been to Russia, maybe Soviet, former Soviet Union, I've probably been 35 times there on mission trips. I lived a year and a half of my life in former Soviet. Uh, and I, I've seen, and, and, and part of our understanding is that when you see tyranny, it, it, it fears masculinity. And it, in, 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 so, for, in, in Soviet Russia, a man who would stand up for truth and defend his family or even speak against the dictator in any form, he got a free ticket, free train ride to Siberia for 10 or 20 years. And so he began to die. I mean, the, the only acceptable expression of manhood became sexual. Every other expression of manhood in terms of initiative and risk-taking and truth and was completely not rewarded. It was, matter of fact, it was rewarded by a trip to the gulag. No wonder so much alcoholism, so much yeah. sense of brokenness in men. It's just not going to happen and be recovered in a year. It's taking generations to recover that demonic, but it was a fear of men because the men were the ones that were going to had the potentiality to resist and throw off that tyranny. So the only acceptable expression of manhood was sexual. Well, this is why the Russian women are the male order brides of the world. I mean, the most sensual, some of the most sensual sexual expression of women in the earth. They have a reputation for it because of the reduced image of man there. That the appropriate and permissible expression of manhood was sexual. 
It's be the same thing with black culture in America. Slavery. Uh, we don't want leadership. Of, we don't want the kind of leadership that's going to overthrow the plantation. We want you. Listen, you. We just. You say massa. You. You know. You just. Everything. You. You just. You do what you do. Now have children. Have more slaves for us. Reproduce. But any other expression of manhood. I mean, picture uh, the uh, drunken slave, uh, the pl drunken plantation owner's son, who knocks on the little shave sh uh, slave shack at midnight. And he knocks on the door of this little black family, and this father opens the door, and the, and the drunken son of the plantation owner says to him, I want your Rachel tonight. She's 13. And what does this man do? Bite him on the spot? And get whipped within an inch of his life the next day? Get sold to another plantation so he never sees his family ever again? What, what's a man to do? But he dies. Something dies in him, that manhood, all the, all the things that he was designed to, to walk in and is, is denied him. And the only expression of masculinity is sexual that's allowed. And what do we see in the black community? 75%, because of that demonic spirit, 75% of black families have no father present. 75% of children born today, 75% have no father present by marriage. It's an absent, propagated. I think the same thing is happening today in Western culture. Increasingly, manhood is denied. It's mocked. It's ridiculed. Aggression, violence, ambition, risk-taking are, are suspect. And I believe God wants to do, do a, a, a renewal and a revival, appropriate renewal. Now, I'm talking about macho. I'm in the Hispanic churches, and I say, God is raising up a new Hispanic man for the kingdom of God. He's kind and courageous, tough and tender, strong and sensitive. Machismo, adios! And all the men stand up and go, because they, they want to be able to express their manhood. They want to express their aggression and their violence against darkness and their ambition and their risk-taking for the kingdom of God. They're designed to do it. And I propose to you that we have not painted the picture we need to paint to men of the danger and what's happening to women in our culture. That they are being destroyed by the, sec by the mores of the sexual revolution. We have no idea what molestation does to a woman. We have no idea what uh, early sexual immorality does to her. She was designed by God for safety and security and permanence and commitment. Is the deepest part of her heart. There's not a woman on the face of the earth that was designed to give herself to a man without commitment and permanence called marriage. It is not in her spirit. Well, Pastor Jim, I got girls that call me up, you know, after, after school, say, come on over, my parents aren't home. I'll tell you what their heart of hearts wants. They're using the vehicle of their sexuality to try to broker a relationship, hoping that maybe if she gives herself to this guy, he'll stick around and he'll like the experience. But she really wants to be loved for who she is as a person. This is the kind of stuff we need to talk about because I believe we're back to that first statement I made. The revelation of a heart of a daughter is the pathway to authentic manhood. Because we have not talked about it and we've not given permission to even deal with the pain in women, there's no, there's no place for men to begin to attach who they are to this danger. See, to me, it's the answer for pornography. I'll talk about that as I kind of end. Um, 
So pretty, pretty profound, isn't, I mean, isn't that amazing? I kind of added some of my own comments. I kind of sexualized the uh, analogy, but uh, I really believe it. it, it uh, see, and, and, and we've got this, uh, show the picture of Luke really quick. I just got to do this. I, you know, we, part, of, part of, of, of the sexual ethic of, of masculinity is that, you know, indulgence and in, in, in that manhood is about... Uh, I, 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 um, are we going to have, I don't know if we're going to have a question. Oh, quick statement. Okay. Good. Thank you for that affirmation, sister. So glad you're here. Um, but the, the sexual, you know, again, the sexual revolution says that authentic manhood is about the pursuit and in in an exercise of a, a pursuit of your indulgence. It's, it's, it's the beer ad. It's the, and we don't have a magic wand to, we don't have a magic wand wedding day where a man who has indulged himself his, in his sexuality his whole life suddenly is going to walk down an aisle and be transformed into an Ephesians 5, lay your life down as Christ loved the church for your bride. That isn't, and you're going to have a lot of problems in that marriage. I, I mean, it, it, it just doesn't happen. Now, God can renew and restore and heal a man. But man, what we're feeding and what we're expecting in the culture is, when I saw this picture, I just thought manhood, my son should be happy. This is his wedding day. And he looks kind of like he's a little bit sad. Or he's overwhelmed. Or he's kind of going, oh my gosh, what am I getting into? You know, like, this is, cause, because this is Luke understanding that you don't marry a woman, you don't touch her unless you marry her. And when you marry her, you're getting the whole package. It's like God never meant men to have access to sexual experience without corresponding responsibility or it would become a monster in their life. This is, this is what's happened in our culture. Men have access to sexual experience without, without responsibility and it becomes a monster in their life, a monster through pornography, a monster through relationships. It, it, they begin to feed that. God has given us a limited expression of sexuality through covenant and luke is going to make a covenant and he's kind of going man i should be really happy but like yeah look what you're feeling is there is the corresponding counterbalance to this privilege like tonight you're having tonight luke you're going to have the privilege of sexual experience <laughs> and everybody knows this and that's why a wedding is pregnant with this i mean we ought to our weddings and our courtships should be a, another place of testimony to the whole all the watching world we should have young women talking to girls whose face are radiant, saying, you're in a relationship? You know, you're in a relationship? Are you guys doing stuff? No, we're not doing anything. He's not touched me. I feel so safe and secure. He loves me for who I am as a person. That girl's going to say, where do you go to church? Can I go there? Can, I, can that some of that rub off on me? Because that's how I feel. I want my boyfriend to treat me. Well, maybe you shouldn't be living with him, honey. I believe we have a pathway for evangelism. I believe there's supposed to be a sexual component to our evangelism that we've never had. I believe that God wants to do some things in this area. So Luke's experiencing this, and I love it. It's the corresponding counterbalance to that. The other thing, the Me Too movement, was it happened before. Let me just mention, I stumbled across a study on Sigmund Freud. 
And in the late 1890s, 1880s and 1890s, they were looking for the source of hysteria. They called it hysteria. Women who were suffering post-traumatic stress from something. And they were trying to find the source of hysteria. H hysteria, hysterectomy, had to do with the womb. They called hysteria, it was female-oriented. Women, women were evidencing these behaviors from somewhere. And they were trying to find the source of it. And they began to spend time with them and listen to them. Freud, a couple other psychologists in Paris, he was in Vienna. And they, guess what? they discovered, and they were all searching for the source of hysteria. They were going to solve this problem. They began to spend time, hours, listening to women. And as they listened to women, and one of, the, one of them called it the talking cure, that as they talked about their life, they, healing happened. Well, duh, you just ripped off the pastoral anointing, man. That's what pastors do. That's what shepherds do. This is, this is in the Bible. This is in the Bible, listening to people, carrying their burden, bear you one another's burdens. The shepherd, the, the, the shepherd knows his sheep. You know, this is, so this, the secular world began to uh, uh, use the kingdom of God principle, and women began to get relief from just being listened to. But it invariably led, guess where it led? It led to the uncovering of systematic use of women, of the, of, the, of the businessmen, the doctors, the lawyers, the professionals of Paris and Vienna, giving their daughters as favors to their business partners where they had to undergo molestation and sexual. And in this Victorian, in this, in this Germanic, Eastern or European society where we honor our dad and our dad's asking me to do this, I guess I have to obey my father, what am I supposed to do? And, they, they, were, they were brought into this horrible reality, and Freud uncovered it. They uncovered this horrible reality that was happening. Freud wrote a book on it called The Origins of Hysteria, but then he put two and two together and very quickly realized my whole profession, my whole reputation is going to go down the toilet, and he recanted. And he began to say the women secretly enjoyed these encounters with these, these men that were the friends of their father and put it on them. And the revelation of what was happening to women in that era went underground for 80 more years until the 1970s when the college rape crisis on the college campuses came up. And once again, women could talk again about what was happening to them sexually. 80 years underground. It's happened before. I believe God does not want it to go underground again. I believe the church has time to steward what's happening, to enter the conversation. We need to be serious about it. Freud completely caved in on it. Unbelievable. It just makes me, man, I go, you sold out. He didn't have any motive. We have a different motive. We have Christ speaking to us. Okay, let me, let me emphasize. Let me look at a couple quick scriptures. Uh, these are very strange. These are going to be the strangest scriptures you've ever seen. To, to, to just paint a picture, uh, I'm going to look at a couple of scriptures for women to re reflect the heart of a woman and a couple passages for men. Deuteronomy 22, um, where the Lord, instead of the protection chapter, we see the principle. Deuteronomy, you got it? Oh, you got it, Brian? Okay, I'll just use this because it's going to be easier. Is it NASV? Okay, so here it is. If there's a girl who's a virgin engaged to a man, another man finds her in the city and lies with her. This is the Old Testament rape laws, so this is already unpleasant, but 
And Menoram comes and, and lies with her. Then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and shall stone them to death. Next. The girl, because she did not cry in the city, and the man, because he has violated his neighbor's wife. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. But if in the field the man finds the girl who's engaged, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lies with her shall die. Next. You shall know nothing to the girl. Verse 27. When he found her in the field, the aged girl cried out, but there was no one to save her. Okay, kind of an odd scripture, kind of weird. Um, two scenarios. You've got the, the girl in the... In the uh, the man's assaulting the girl in the city. He finds her in the city, and look at, there's some presuppositions here. It says that the girl who's the virgin is engaged in the man, and then their man finds her and lies with her in the city. You shall stone both of them to death. So the presupposition is that you're in the city, there's people with an earshot, and if the man starts assaulting her and it goes through to completion, if this assault goes through to completion, the assumption is that the girl didn't cry out. Because the assumption is a girl in the city who was assaulted, who didn't want this to happen, would have cried out. And there's an assumption that in the city, someone would have heard and that this would have been interrupted. And there's lots of assumptions here that God's making. And this is the Old, Old Testament law. It's how weird is this? But in the field, see, and then we go, but if in the field a man finds the girl's engaged, then only the, only the man's going to be guilty. What's the assumption? That the girl did cry out in the field because she doesn't want this to happen. The assumption is the girl doesn't want to be assaulted. Pretty good assumption, okay? And she cries out, but it's in the field. It's in a deserted place where there's no life. That's symbolic. In the deserted place where there's no life, there's no response to the cry of a daughter's heart who's being assaulted. So only the man is guilty because she cried out, but there was no one to save her. Okay, now, in the city, who's going to come? So the presumption is that someone... In the city, the reason we're going to punish both the girl and the man is because she must have not cried out. Because if she would have cried out, someone would have come. The Hebrew police force would have come, right? The Hebrew police force is going to show up. Well, guess what? There's no Hebrew police force. There were temple guards. So there's another assumption, a societal function, a corporate, a cultural assumption, that who would hear the cry of a daughter being assaulted in a place where there was life in the city? A father? a brother, an uncle, a grandpa, he would hear the cry. He would hear the cry of a daughter being assaulted by darkness and run to the cry and intervene where the cry was and, and say, I'm here, it stops. And I propose to you there is a cry today from women. They're cutting, they're burning. They're living with men. They're, 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 they're settling for whatever they need to settle for. They are longing to be loved, longing to be cherished, longing to be valued. And the culture invites them into all sorts of behaviors that promises their blessing, promises that their dreams will come true, and they're not. And I'm believing with all my heart that we can raise up a generation of men who are attuned to the cry of a daughter's heart who is being assaulted by darkness, the cultural sexual assault, the byline of the book. The cultural sexual assault is taking place against women. I mean, why would a little girl cut and burn herself? Why? Why would they get involved in behaviors that promises their destruction? Because they're designed for things. And we've got to, we have to see the larger context. Like Jesus saw the larger context with a woman caught in adultery. The larger context... And I believe that's, so this presupposes the protective instinct of man. 
It's a given. It's a guarantee. It's, it's how their law was formulated. They didn't even need a Hebrew police force in ancient Israel because the men would function that way. Come on, Lord. Resurrect that spirit in man. Let it, let it begin with the leaders on down. That we would, And the way we protect today, it says weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We are destroying speculations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We're not tearing down brick and mortar. We're not tearing down Planned Parenthood. We're not, we're not, but we are tearing down ideas, ideologies, thinking. And we lead by the preaching of the word. We lead by being bold with ideas. We lead by the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. That way of thinking that's been reinforced over and over and over again. The second scripture I want to just uh, really quickly uh, just touch on is Judges 19. And uh, again, it just has some presuppositions. And then I'll kind of try to wrap up the couple of scriptures on women and then we'll be done. Do you know the story? I'm, I'm assuming your leaders, you know the story of a, 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 a guy. He's got a concubine. They aren't getting along. She runs away. Um, he goes to her dad's house and, and gets her. They reconcile. He speaks kindly to her. They're, they're, they're reconciled, and they're going to leave from the father's house back to where they live, and they have to stop off in Gibeah. They have to stop in the, in the, in the region of the tribe of Benjamin. And so they're on their way back. They stop, and, and they, they're in the city, and an older man in the, of Gibeah says, you don't want to stay in the public square tonight. Well, and that's kind of normal. You know, you're supposed to invite. That's how they did They didn't have Motel 6. You invite somebody to stay in your house. It was kind of the cultural thing. It was like, man, this is cool. But he seemed kind of extra emphatic about it. Like, you don't want to stay in this city square. I know something you don't know. So let's pick it up from there. It says, while they were celebrating, so they decide to stay with the man. Verse 24 of Judges 19. Why, why they were celebrating. There you go. Behold, the men of the city, certain worthless fellows, surrounded the house, pounding on the door. And they spoke to the owner of the house, the old man, saying, bring out the man who came into your house that we may have relations with him. This is a homosexual gang rape. Let's go to the next thing. Then the man, the owner of the house, went out to them and said, No, my fellows, please do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come into my house, do not commit this act of folly. Well, he, he's got that right. Now, he's protecting the guest in his home. He's got a lot of concern about honoring a stranger. You know, what strangers think, what other people will think of him, about how he's taking care of this stranger. Next verse. Here's my virgin daughter. And his concubine, please let me bring them out that you may ravish them and do whatever you wish. But do not commit such an act of folly against this man. <laughs> now we're starting to scratch our heads saying, whoa, what kind of values, what kind of inverted value system we got here? We care more about what, how you treat strangers and how what strangers think of me in treating this stranger than I do about my own uh, daughter or this guy's concubine. Do we have some inverted value here? Whoa, well, in a nation under judgment, we always have inverted values. This is judges where every man did right in his own eyes. This is no God. This is inverted value system where, where the things that are not as important get elevated to really important, and the things that are really, really important get devalued into a place where you think, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The men would not listen to them, so the man seized his concubine and brought her out to them. They raped her and abused her all night till morning. Then let her go at the approach of dawn. As the day began to dawn, the woman came and fell down at the doorway of the man's house where her master was until full daylight. 
But when her master arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house, he went out to go his way. Behold, his concubine was lying at the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let's go. But there was no answer. And he placed her on the donkey and the man arose and went to his home. When he entered his house, he took a knife and he laid hold of his concubine and cut her into 12 pieces limb by limb and sent her throughout the territory of Israel. All who saw it said, nothing like this has ever happened or been seen from the day when the sons of Israel came up from the land of Egypt to this day. Consider it. Take counsel. Speak up. A couple of thoughts. I've already talked about the inverted value system. Sometimes I think because we care more about what strangers think about our Christian life and our values than what we do about giving our daughters into a system that promises their destruction. I think our intentionality about our sons and daughters going off to school or being in such atmospheres they're not going to be able to withstand temptation. We've invited the destruction of a generation. I'll just leave that for you to meditate on. And I'm not, I'm not arguing against college. I'm just saying we, we need to be highly, if we're going to let them do that, we need to be highly intentional. We need to, to prepare them and be talking to them. We need to prepare them and talk to them about high school. We need to prepare them and talk to them about junior high. We need to prepare them and talk to them about fifth and sixth grade, about public displays, displays of affection, about the reality of the culture. So they have an ally and a friend among parents and, and, and spiritual leaders. I think we are giving ourselves and are giving our sons and daughters into atmospheres that promise their destruction because we value the opinion of strangers more than we do the possibly caring for our own kid. Now that's that's an, I mean that's that's hard to say. I mean I'm not I know parents love their children. It's a matter of us to Help them see the context. I think if we do, they'll respond. I really do. I think they'll think, oh my gosh, I didn't see, I, I, I didn't think about it that way. That's just a thought. The, th the second thing is that, so they offer her, and I think the, the response of him when he says, she's at the door, and it's like we have a daughter, a dead daughter at the doorstep. And I think we have some dead daughters who have, have had their dreams dead, their futures are dead. The relationships they've been in dead. The relationship with their mom and dad is dead. We have some daughters who are dead at the doorstep. And I think we have daughters that have experienced molestation and sexual assault and relationships that didn't go well. They gave themselves away to a man. Or they were, you know, a host of violations. And it's like our attitude is, get up. Let's go. Get over it. What's wrong? We have no idea what's really happened to them. We have no idea of the devastation and the depth of, of what molestation does, what uh, relationships, sexual relationships. And the third thing is just the, it's like the Lord said, we've got a nation under judgment. I've got, I've got to do something that will shock the men into a place of response. And this is a nation that talked about nakedness. I mean, like, we don't even uncover anybody's nakedness. And we're also we're getting body parts in the mail from a runner, from a messenger, saying, well, here's a leg, here's a torso, including the breast of a woman. That This is supposed to shock you into a, an awakening. 
Now, to me, it's the symbolic. I think to me, to, to, it's, it's a symbolism that we need to, to describe what's happening to women in the church to, to understand it more fully, to loose their testimony so they themselves can say this is what's happening to us. And, to, to, and not to condemn men, but to, to connect them to their protective instinct. See, this is the answer. We're trying, to, we're trying to heal men from pornography by saying don't look at her and don't think about her at the count of three. We're leaving women sexualized and say don't think about it at the count of three. When we need, to, the, the, the answer is to connect the plight of women and the destruction of women, what has happened, the revelation of a daughter's heart and the revelation of the war from hell against a daughter's heart, what they're experiencing. If we can connect what they're experiencing and connect it to the protective instinct in a man's heart, they're going to be elevated to a place of victory in terms of their purity and in terms of their participation as being an answer. It's going to elevate their, it's going to go from every man's battle to every man's victory. And I, we've got, and, and either God is, if, if, if it's, supposed to, it's supposed to be every man's battle and it's just something we're never going to overcome, one big, long, protracted battle where there's lots of failure, then we, we can call God a tyrant for giving us a sexual drive like he did. But if his enabling power of his Holy Spirit is not, is not capable of giving us a revelation, it isn't just a, an ability to say no. We're going to still have to say no, guys. We're still going to have to say no. But if he can give us a revelation of a daughter's heart and the war from hell against the daughter's heart, and it, and it connects to that protective instinct in man to do what's right instead of what's easy, to look in a mirror and see someone he respects where his fuel is honor where the man that sees himself as a protector instead of a predator, where, where man begins to, be, to, 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 to live, live this. This is who I am. This is who I am. I think that's, gonna, that's the game changer. That's going to be the, that's the game changer. See, for the women, oh, time's up. Um, you know, where's that original? Let me read those original design things. That's, I just summarized it. I, I had it here. So we're, you know, what do we do? Part of our, so we're, we're in this situation, men, women, we've got our, we've got our daughters, we've got our the women, men and women coming home from college. We've got, um, we've got friends who are living with their boyfriend or in sexual relationships. You know, we just don't know what to do. You know, it, part of us, we, we love God's standard. And so we want it, part of us wants to say, flee youthful us. You shall not commit adultery. You know, but this part of our heart wants to say that. And we, but we, we know that isn't going to get any traction. It's like that's going to come across as Jesus with a woman caught in adultery saying, I'm upholding the law. I'm upholding the law. You did, you, I'm upholding the law. But then we're, we don't know what to do with it. How do, we, how do we keep the law intact and show mercy? How do we prophetically declare over them you're different than this. You were designed differently than this. We were in front of Planned Parenthood of all places, handing out uh, child development literature. And I'm a, I'm a kingdom guy. I'm thinking I, I like handing out child development literature, but I'm thinking, man, I, these girls have like a soul. I mean, they need to know the Lord. I mean, the Lord's their answer. Child development literature isn't the answer, but this is sort of part of the answer. It's like I'm trying to put my finger in the dike, you know, and our culture going crazy. And, but I'm there, and, and, and so, I'm, so I'm handing out this literature, and one of the girls drives in and comes over to me. She's standing right in front of me. She's a 20-something, and I go, 
I didn't even know what, I handed her the thing. I said, what do I say? You know, I, 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 I go, well, I mean, hey, um, you're, I've got uh, eight kids. Six of them are daughters, and some of them are just the same age as you. I'm a grandpa. I'm safe, you know. And she kind of looks at me, and I go, do you know, I've come to understand something about the heart of a daughter, that she was designed for safety and security and permanence and commitment. Oh, and another thing, just having these girls, I, I've come to understand that, that they were designed to be loved for who they are as a person and not what they can give a man sexually. Have you ever thought about anything like that? She just looks at me like, and she starts to weep. I've known her for a minute, a whole minute. <coughs> she starts to weep. And I just felt like God said, you're touching something. You're prophetically declaring what they're designed to be. And it's inviting them to return to what they used to be, what they were supposed to be. It's just, and, and, and they're going to want to know, they, how do you know this about me? Well, because God made you. It invites them right into the arms of the creator who made them. It's an evangelism that we can begin to use. We start talking to a man. So this is what we say to daughters, those three things. You were designed for safety and security, permanence and commitment. You were designed by God to be loved for who you are as a person, not what you can give a, what, not what you can give a man sexually. You are primarily relational and secondarily sexual through the covenant of marriage. Marriage allows you to open up, safely open up that personal and sacred part of, of your life to your husband because he's made a public commitment to you forever. What do we say to the men? You were designed by God to do what's right instead of what's easy. You were designed by God to look in a mirror and see someone you respect, your fuel is honor. God has called you to be a protector, not a predator. You were never designed by God to be bound to your lower nature. But God wants to release grace to you so you can rule over your sexuality instead of your sexuality ruling over you. I believe with all my heart the answer to the pornography issue is to elevate men through this revelation of who, who they are and connect it to the damage and the destruction being done. I think we see it from those scriptures, the, the woman being assaulted in the city and hearing the cry and running to the rescue, and then the thought of God saying, even in the darkest situation, I can awaken a, a nation of men if they'll see the damage because they're designed for that. They're designed to respond to destruction and damage. If we can take the testimonies of women who now we've been given permission through the Me Too movement to say we want to hear about your pain and we want to hear about the God of revelation. Our daughters are ready to be to be launched into the into the marketplace with their testimonies, men with their testimony, and we all the pieces are there for the church to take her place. And I'm I'm thrilled about it. <laughs>